Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 347th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D-Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, I already SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Buffalo, New York. Also, special shout out to everybody who's tuning in via Elevation Sports in Denver. Appreciate y'all for tuning in as well. Gonna have a great podcast for all you guys today. Gonna have Kenny Simon, scouting expert for 247 Sports, as we break down Week Seven. Yes, folks, we are moving up in the world, going through the NFL season, recapping Week Seven of NFL action. Now, before I get to Kenny, I want to say this: shameless plug time. First of all, by the way, check on the descriptions below for timestamps. I have every single team in the NFL, all the games that transpired this week, timestamp. So if you want to listen to your specific team, maybe a team in your own division, etc., etc., then uh, click on that timestamp, please. Now, shameless block time, for real. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with friends or family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Three to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lynn. And lastly, if you have Apple or if you have iTunes, then give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the podcast, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get to Kenny Sims, scouting expert for 247 Sports. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports. How you doing, Kenny? To recap week seven of NFL action. Doing good, Daryl. It's kind of a slower week in the NFL with six teams on buys um, today with the NFL. There was, there was 11 games today, only one decided by a touchdown or less. Usually that happens half the time, but there was a lot of blowouts today. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of lower scores from teams. And, you know, there were some big games today. And then you had some teams, you know, try, pulled out all the stops they could, like the Lions, and came up a little bit short. And then you had some big wins for a couple of teams as well. But only one one game decided by one possession today. So let's start with the San Francisco 49ers Sunday Night Football. 
Jimmy Garoppolo makes his return, throws two interceptions. How did you think he looked coming back after, you know, not playing for about three, four weeks? Yeah, I didn't think he looked particular. Uh, I, I didn't think he looked good today. He, he came back with uh, three turnovers today. A lot of them were forced errors. I didn't think him or Carson Wentz handled the rain today and handled the elements it was almost like they went back to pass and you know you were holding your breath about not turning the ball over but both quarterbacks really struggled today but I thought Jimmy Garoppolo I thought he struggled today coming out of that weather um and 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 having those three turnovers as well yeah and something that I thought was very concerning on my end is right so they score a touchdown on the opening drive which is really like the game script right those are the plays that you've prepped for all week. Uh, their second drive, they're able to score. But once you start getting off that game script, the offense really struggled. Yeah, it did, absolutely. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of coaches, Kyle Shanahan, one of them, they script out the first 15 plays. They want to see different personnel groupings, different formations, what the Colts are going to show. And, you know, they, they script out those first 15 or so. So... They came out, and they did score on their opening possession, had a solid drive, got the ball back again, um, able to kick a field goal. Actually, Joey Sly missed an extra point, came back, though, and hit a 56-yarder in the in, in the rain. And then that was about it for them. They ended up um, not finding a lot of success offensively until a late score in the fourth quarter. Um I think that might have been off a turnover by Carson Wentz, but nonetheless, you know, I thought the elements really struggled for Jimmy Garoppolo. Several missed exchanges between quarterback and center, um, balls on the ground, bad interceptions as well. Um, you know, the one at the end of the game all slipped out, but. He had the one that Xavier Rhodes almost returned for a touchdown. He had a three-by-one set. I thought he should have gone to the bottom of the screen, that, that three-receiver set. They're probably working a little triangle concept in that zone. But he went to the one-on-one on the outside and doing the contested coverage today. But I thought he struggled coming out, coming off of the bye, as did Carson Wentz. Yeah, and you would think coming off a bye, that would mean you'd be playing, um, have a little bit more prep time, uh, be able to heal up and rest up. So that was a little disappointing. Uh, something Chris Collinsworth uh, mentioned during uh, the, the telecast was that, uh, you know, if Trey Lance was healthy, he might have actually gotten the start, I guess. And I, you know, right, these guys, they talk to the coaches. So I don't know if he, that was a tell he got from Kyle Shanahan in uh, the pre-show meeting or whatever. Uh, But I thought that was a very interesting nugget that he dropped on air uh, that he believes that uh, Trey Lance would have started. So I assume he got that from somewhere. Uh, Do you think that Trey Lance would have started if Trey Lance was healthy? I mean, also, Jimmy Grapple didn't look great, so that doesn't instill confidence. But for the coming weeks, do you think this quote-unquote quarterback controversy, quarterback competition is over yet? Like, is it possible that Trey Lance would get another shot? Yeah, I think Collinsworth was kind of mentioning how there was 
this this game could have been better suited for Trey Lance in the inclement weather um, today, since throwing was really difficult to do. But nonetheless, you know, once Trey Lance gets healthy, he's got a lower body injury he's working through. Uh, also had a little finger injury in week one. But once he gets fully healthy, I think they're going to look at um, with Jimmy Garoppolo is could Trey Lance run an offense that's better than Jimmy Garoppolo knowing Trey Lance's limitations. So throwing the ball, can can they get a little bit more competent throwing the ball down the field along with the quarterback run game? If that could spark the offense, you know, I, I, I think you could see Trey Lance get a look here because also they fall now to two and four on the year. So they're still within the playoff hunt, but I think it's a combination of how they're looking in the in in the wild card. Two is Jimmy Garoppolo in this offense, are they kind of at a standstill? And then three, could Trey Lance be able to run an offense throwing the football? How does that look versus the current state with Jimmy Garoppolo playing kind of within structure, throwing the ball down the field? Because Trey Lance did struggle in that Arizona game, his first start throwing the football. So as long as they're able to have some sort of a passing game, and not have you know the defense not respect that. I think they're going to want to get a, a look at Trey Lance, and I think this is kind of a transition period to see how this month of November goes, because ultimately you fall out of the playoff chase, or you're not really competitive. Um, you know, you might mathematically be in it, but if you really don't have a good chance when when you look at the full picture, the 49ers should want to get Trey Lance in there and take a look at what they have at least to know going into the offseason what they have. Because Trey Lance, I think he's going to start next year. There's a lot of draft capital spent for him, the number three overall pick. So that's just the way the NFL works. He's going to be the starter next year. They'll they'll end up moving Jimmy Garoppolo and getting some of those draft picks back. But you want to see what Trey Lance has, and then that that could dictate your, your offseason program for the free agency and the draft to see what you need Do you think that at all Kyle Shanahan is Kyle Shanahan is under any kind of pressure because you've mentioned before what Kyle Shanahan wants, Kyle Shanahan gets. Trey Lance didn't look that great. I know that's only one game, but he didn't look great. Uh, they had a losing record last year. It's famously always mentioned by people. He has a losing record when Jimmy Garoppolo isn't playing. Is there any pressure on Kyle Shanahan this year?
quarterback, but really his one good year with the quarterback was the full 16 games with Jimmy Garoppolo when he went to the Super Bowl. So I don't think he's under any pressure to lose his job, but um, at some point, wins are going to have to come up. Uh, you have to find wins, get the team back to the playoffs, especially in a tough division. And they spent a lot of capital on Trey Lance. So I think that's going to be um, something with Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance in the coming years is there needs to be, you know, you've got to look at the 49ers and see Trey, Trey Lance definitely buying into being the quarterback of the future and looking back and saying, okay, you, you could definitely win with Trey Lance. Um, in that division in the coming years. So right now, not under any hot seat or anything, but he is going to need to eventually hit with Trey Lance. Did the Colts show you anything today that makes you think they can be a competent wildcard contender? You know, I think I saw something in the running game today with Jonathan Taylor and how they were able to get get Quentin Nelson back from injured reserve and really ride Jonathan Taylor today. Now, they mixed in a different amount a different amount of running backs too. So he only got he, he got just over half the carries. He got eighteen out of the thirty three carries. But Jonathan Taylor running the football behind that offensive line, that gives the Colts an identity. And if they could run the ball and Carson Wentz not turn it over and put the defense in a bad spot. I wouldn't say it's a top five or ten defense, but but it's a it's a solid defense that if they're in the right situation, they could hold teams below their average. They held the 49ers below their average today. And if you could run the football, not turn it over, and their defense does present different challenges, I think that could be the formula for them to go on a little bit of a run. Now, they did have a very tough start of the schedule. Yet Carson Wentz with two injuries. Quentin Nelson with the same injury, a foot injury as Carson Wentz. Really tough opening schedule. They're three and four, and now they have the Jaguars and the Jets, and their schedule lightens up a little bit. Now, they're two games behind Indy, uh, uh, Tennessee, and they got them coming back. But I think this is the formula that the Colts want to try to stick to in the game script. It's keeping it close and really utilizing Jonathan Taylor, who looked very good running the football today, but find behind that offensive line. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor looked amazing for sure. Now, I want to go to this next. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they are 3-5 and five in their last eight games. When I say that, what do you think, Kenny? Well, I think now there's enough sample over seven games. I mean, we're almost half, 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 the, half the season's in the books. The Kansas City Chiefs have problems. They have a lot of problems right now. And this is not just rolling out the football. I think their playoff chances, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge now to make the playoffs. Kansas City Chiefs, they're one and four in the AFC. And they had to get a combination of miraculous play and I think poor play from the Browns turning it over, specifically a punter mistake in week one to get that win. But Browns are moving the ball, Ravens are moving the ball, 
Chargers, the Bills did a job on them. They can't stop anyone in the AFC. They're one and four in the AFC. So when tiebreakers come into play, conference record is important. They're one and four in the AFC. They had to have workmanlike victories to get past Philadelphia and Washington. And I think the most impressive win from an AFC opponent on the Chiefs was what the Tennessee Titans did today. Doing a number on them, 27 to 3. They're back below 500 like they were earlier in the year. Haven't done that since 2015. Patrick Mahomes making some pretty ill-advised decisions and passes. And that defense is having a very difficult time stopping anyone that they play in the AFC. Kansas City Chiefs have a lot of problems. Yeah, and uh, Tyron Matthew has not looked good. There was a couple times. Like, he just refuses to tackle. Like, I, I don't know what's going on with the Chiefs defense. They're just bad. And the team in general is bad, Kenny. I always say they got a chronic issue, which is really awful in football. They can't block. They can't shed. They can't tackle. They can't get off the field on third down. Kenny, I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like the recipe for a pretty bad football team on any level. Uh, and Absolutely right. You said it perfectly. I think they've had a little bit of some ill effects of some some underperforming draft classes. You know, they uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire's out. He's Willie been a bust. It's just a linebacker, Juan Thornhill. I don't think they're getting a lot out of him that they wanted to solidifying the safety spot. And you look at their, t- I mean, you look at their last three drafts. They're having a hard time filling in pieces around Patrick Mahomes. And other than getting some miraculous play out of him, they're having a hard time. They're completely one-dimensional on offense. I don't see progress week to week from their offensive line, which has a lot of rookies that they're trying to work in. I don't see them getting better. And that defense that Steve Spagnola kind of took over in 2018, when they fired Bob Sutton, it's looking a lot like that defense in 2018. They are having a lot of uh, difficulties stopping opponents. And Patrick Mahomes is tied to the lead in interceptions with Zach Wilson. He's not playing good either. And it's a lot about Patrick Mahomes as well. So, there's a lot of soul-searching right now. And they still got to play the Chargers again, and they got to play the Raiders twice as well. And then they got to date with the Packers. So, it is going to be tough sledding for them, and I think right now it's 50-50 if they make the playoffs or not. Yeah, they're at 3-4. I mean, that 8-9 win threshold, I think they can probably still get there, but that's the bare minimum. And even then, you know, last year, a 10-win team in the AFC didn't make it, so who knows, right? But uh, if they get to that 8-9-10 threshold, they should be in the hunt, so to speak, right, uh, in, the, in week 15, 16, and 17. But... My concern with the Chiefs is this, in terms of Patrick Mahomes, I don't want to blame Mahomes too much because I, I will say this. Like I said, they can't block, can't shed, can't tackle, can't get off the field on third down. Patrick Mahomes is obviously pressing because the defense is awful. He's trying to make big play after big play after big play. And yeah, it leads to turnovers. And I also think the Chiefs are asking too much of Patrick Mahomes. I get it that he's Superman. He's the most talented quarterback we've ever seen at the position, right? All those things, but... How about you try to rely on your run game a little bit more? How about maybe some more screen passes? How about we don't always try to make the spectacular 40-yard lasers down the field on a rope? How about we always don't try to do that? Let's, you know, let's dial it back. 
Like, let's dial it back. Let's not be so cool. Let's not be so flashy. Even the offensive line, he's consistently having to move on the pocket. There was one time where he got pushed outside of the pocket. He extended the play, and he threw a, like a five-yard sidearm throw. Uh, and I'm forgetting the receiver, but to a receiver. And then I'm just like, that was way too hard for five yards. That's an issue. He did all that work for five yards. And I'm just like, that is not a good sign. And during the competitive part of the game, before he left, 30 minutes of, of the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, first half, first half, Titans had 19 first downs to four. They ran 43 plays to 16. Titans outgained the Chiefs, 277 to 68. And they had the ball for 23 minutes versus six. That was in the first half. Um, Titans kind of let up at the end. If they wanted to throw for 500 yards, I thought they could. Um, But it, it was just a dominant effort today. And, you know, they went against a team in the Titans that was coming off a big win on Monday Night Football. A lot of times you come out a little bit flat during that. The Titans did not come out flat. It was quickly 14-0 in the blink of an eye. That goes back to that opening script, even defensively. That opening script defensively that the Chiefs provided very little resistance on. And it was all systems go for the Titans, especially getting A.J. Brown back from injury last two games looking like that wide receiver won Henry still dominant they kept him in check a little bit but they were able to control the game and Ryan Tannehill during the competitive part of the game was 17 of 21 are the Titans the best team in the AFC well that's challenging because the AFC is really muddled up. Um, you know, there's there's 12 teams between two and four losses, so that's three-quarters of the AFC, uh, three-quarters of the conference between two and four losses, and everybody at the top has two losses. They're hot right now, but I think year-to-date, including everything, I'm going to give a slight edge to the Bills. And I understood the Bills' loss to the Titans. Wire to wire, I'm going to go with the Bills still. But it is, um, you know, maybe the better answer is we're kind of in a holding pattern right now. Because everyone that's been the number one team in the AFC has lost. For that, we talk about every week as the number one team in the AFC. Loses. It was the Chiefs. They go down. It was the Ravens dominating the Chargers. They get blown out. Bills crush the Chiefs. They lose to the Titans. So the Titans are hot right now, but I would still go with the Bills. But I think we're kind of in a holding pattern right now um, until a couple of teams emerge in, in the month of November. So I, I uh, was looking through Twitter and I saw this and I thought this was really interesting. I thought you'd be a good person to talk to this about. So Derrick Henry has two years, uh, $24.5 million remaining on his $50 million extension with the Titans. 
but none of it's guaranteed. And Derrick Henry is likely going to be in contention for Offensive Player of the Year, MVP, uh, All Pro, Pro Bowl, all that jazz. He's 27. We keep talking about him hitting the wall. Should the Titans bite the bullet and extend Derrick Henry? I wouldn't extend him uh, with two years left. With two years left, he's still. Um, but it's all non-guaranteed. Right. So, so, so that's pay as you go. Um, that's that's if you, if you're on the team, you get twelve and a half million. I think it's year over year uh, cut. You lose nothing. They're not going to cut him. I think you could maybe tack on an extra year, so he would have three years and. You move some money up immediately because he's making 12 and a half, I think. Um, and, and looking at their cap situation, though, I wouldn't be opposed to giving him um, more money year over year because he's 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 deserving of that. So $12 million, maybe you move, you move some of that money up to bump him to 14, 15. And you still have another uh, add-on a year that you can keep them in Tennessee, you know, through the age of 30, and then kind of go from there. But he is a excellent match for what they're trying to do, though. Now let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, are they the best team in the NFC North? Uh, AFC North Bengals? Uh, excuse me, yeah, a- AFC North, excuse me. Right now, I would say yes. They are a scary team. I think it has to do with their weapons and their upstart defense. But they're number two in the AFC in point differential. And the Ravens look like the best team dominating the Chargers. Man, at home today, they lay an egg after that. But it also goes to show you that week to week, anyone in this league could be beat. But they really got after it in the second half. And I'm looking at some of these touchdowns Joe Burrow threw. These guys were wide open. CJ Uzama comes in, wide open down the seam, caught a deep pass, made a guy miss, a safety miss. Jamar Chase caught about a 15-yard slant. He spins out of it for 82. So these are some skilled guys on the outside that make plays in space. They get those chunk plays, those explosive plays. This is a scary group of wide receivers that Joe Burrow has, and they need to be taken very seriously. I think I was reading something. Jamar Chase is like... He's on pace that like the most receiving yards for a rookie wide receiver ever so far. Yeah, it's probably up there with uh I know Jefferson was close last year, Randy Moss might uh maybe Randy Moss or Odell Beckham, but he's he's definitely in it. Jamar Chase is the most receiving yards for a rookie receiver through the first seven games of his career. Did did you think he'd be this good this fast? I like the talent. I did not think he'd be this good this fast. Just as a prospect, just as a player. Just explosive, tantalizing. I think he's a top five receiver in this league right now. He, oh. he is 
Oh, Kenny. Week in, week out, he is so dominant. Kenny. He can throw the ball, back shoulder fades, quick game, deep pass. He's he's caught a deep passes from Joe Burrow. He took a slant today. Three levels. He catches the football in the regular season. Three levels. At the line of scrimmage, intermediate, downfield. He's going to win those jump balls. He's like a running back when he catches it in space. He's got all the tools right now. And he's also great uh, off script and, and scramble situations when the quarterback breaks the pocket. He's also great in those type of situations as well. Can just snatch the ball out there. You're right. Uh, and yeah, he is a top five wide receiver. Kenny, uh, there was one play. I believe it was the second half. He catches the ball. He's a little off balance. He kind of crawls, gets back up his balance, and then he accelerates all the way to the end zone. And I was thinking. The only humans who could do that are DK Metcalf and Tyreek Hill, maybe. I love Stefan Diggs. He's my guy. Stefan Diggs cannot and would not and physically cannot do that. Devontae Adams might be the best wide receiver in the NFL. Devontae Adams cannot do that. The only two people who I can see that doing besides Jamar Chase are DK Metcalf and Tyreek Hill. Jamar Chase is special. with you there in terms of their triplets of joe burrow jamar chase joe mixon does it get better than that in the nfl right now you know i think it's up there i think it's up there because i'm trying to tell you guys cincinnati and their defense is solid the defense is pretty good kenny yeah it really starts off what they have up front with their defensive line they've been able to control the running game but sam hubbard T.J. Hendrickson play very hard off the edge. They get pressure, especially when you're up. Yeah, that's when the defense can kind of pin their ears back um, and get after it from the defensive line as well. They contributed today with with uh, uh, defensive line at five sacks. And if they have that type of pass rush, I think it helped their secondary hold off. But the key to the Bengals' defense is their pass rush is getting home, and it's kind of hiding that secondary, and they're doing a good job off it, too. And they run to the football. 
so Lamar completed 48% of his passes. Uh, you know, and it wasn't just Lamar, too. The, the Ravens as a whole, right, they, they got kind of stomped out, right? Like, they, they just didn't look good, so it's not just Lamar. How do you think the Ravens can help Lamar out, though, when they go through these stretches where the passes just aren't coming? break and they cut him next after the break on barbershop sports talk we're going to continue talking about everything that went down for week seven of the nfl action cut him next at the break on barbershop sports talk Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports. So, Kenny, Rams versus Lions. Storylines galore here. But first, let's start with this. The multiple fake punts that the Rams were not prepared for. How shocking was that for a Sean McVay team? Hey, Dan Campbell pulled out all the stops today to win it. And he's been pulling out all the stops for a couple of games now. With a team, he's bringing a knife into a gunfight. <laughs> but man, they had the first possession, the fake punt. Then they go surprise onside. Then later in the 
the end of the Minnesota Vikings game. They went for two for the win, and they got it. But credit to Dan Campbell. He, he's doing as much as you can as a coach to put the team in position to win. And I think for the Lions, at least you feel hopeful that you like what you have at head coach, and then you go about this offseason giving him some players. But it was lined up where it was going to be tough for him to win this year. They're, they're, they're still the only winless team. But he's, he's still getting the guys to fight hard, though. Has Dan Campbell impressed you the most out of all these coaches, these first-year coaches? Yeah, so... Thinking of the first-year coaches... There's David Culley, Urban Meyer, or Nick Soriani. Uh, probably the best one's been uh, Brandon Staley. I mean, Brandon Staley. Yeah, Brandon Staley's But he's got a good roster, though. But I would say number two, I would have to say, is Dan Campbell. I've been most impressed with yeah. Do you think though that the the surprises and the reasons they were the, these uh, trip plays, these uh, kind of off schedule plays are working, these special teams plays are working, is because the Rams weren't prepared or the Lions are just doing a really good job of it? Which one do you think is more of? I think a lot of times when I see these special teams plays, when they're executed correctly, usually the team that is having success with that, like the Lions, they see something on film. And it's a lot of small detail, but even something like on a surprise onside kick, when they kicked that ball to the right, they probably saw something in that Ram setup that when you look at, if, if, if you're looking at the Lions when they kick the ball, that front line on the right-hand side of the Rams, they probably saw something like those guys were jumping just before the kickoff and getting a head start down the field or maybe they saw a weak link in there and they're going to take advantage of that a lot of times it's those small details or even if they're lined up a little bit even three or four yards past the uh 45 or 50 it's small details like that that they can take advantage of same thing going with the punt return to them if they, if they know that they could get a certain look depending on how many guys they got on one side of the formation to the long snapper taking advantage of things like that. So I think it's Dan Campbell and the Lions special teams finding those small edges that they could use for an advantage, to get an advantage which they need. So Jared Goff, one touchdown, two picks. Uh, is he this bad or is it just that the Lions are bad? Well, I don't think he's helping them out. Um, but he's uh, he's 0-14 as a starter now in the NFL when Sean McVay's not his head coach. 0-7 his first year in Los Angeles, and now he's 0-7 this year. So I agree with Dan Campbell. I don't think there's enough right now. I think they really need the full season to see what he could do when – he doesn't have a lot of guys around him. But also, I like when Dan Campbell called out Jared Goff and he needs to do more. Because even if he's not doing, or, or, or even if he's playing a little poorly, that's hurting their evaluation and the development of a guy like a DeAndre Swift, a Khalif Raymond that they want to get a look at. I'm around St. Brown, TJ Hawkinson. When his play dips, it also brings down those guys 
especially with a guy like a DeAndre Swift or a TJ Hawkinson, you think those guys are part of the solution with the Lions. You want to see them play well, too. So when Jared Goff's play decreases, that also brings down everybody else. But I think Dan Campbell was also sending a message that he needs to do more, Goff needs to do more to help the locker room to see what they have in other guys and, and to serve that locker room and say, when Jared Goff plays well, that's when our team elevates and we can get the guys around them that play at a high level as well. Now, do you think that, and I'm trying to figure out my words carefully here, uh, because when you talk about the word unfair, I don't know, it's like they're grown men, they get paid, but do you think Jared Goff was treated unfairly by Sean McVay? Because, you know, as this game came into being, there's a lot of reports about him not talking to Goff before everything went down, about when he called him. Then Goff just immediately hangs up and is like, I don't want to talk to you. How do you, do you think he was treated unfairly for what he did do? Because he was the number one overall pick there. Uh, he did take them to a Super Bowl. They went to multiple uh, playoff appearances together. Was Jared Goff treated unfairly? by McVay. That's hard to tell. He's not on the inside of that, but he was able to give him, you know, feedback on the defense in his headset up until 15 seconds on the play clock. I think he, I, I, I think McVay tried to do everything he could to help out Jared Goff with his limitations and get them to go as far as they could. Uh, but ultimately, something happened and something was fractured that kind of broke that relationship off because Jared Goff had a, he had a leg injury and they went with John Wofford in Week 17. And initially, in that wild card game, even with a little hobble, Jared Goff, I think he had a hand actually, but um, I think there were some signs that some some faith was lost in the offense that could be run for Jared Goff. But, you know, I think they put a lot of good players around him. They able to get on the headset inside his ear to help him out with the coverages. So from that aspect, I think, Almost everything was done, you know, that, that Sean McVay could have done. You think Sean McVay feels vindicated after a performance like this? Matthew Stafford plays really well and they win? Think he feels vindicated that he made the right decision? I think he does. I mean, you know, you take a look at today, you know, I think the difference in that game could have been quarterback play. He put a lot on Matt Stafford, throwing the ball in the red zone, uh, throwing the ball at the end of the game to work some of that clock. I think that was some vindication right there. Especially at the end of that game. I believe it was 25-19. to 19, And they were driving that red zone and Jared Goff with a pretty ill-advised pass that Jalen Ramsey picked off. That was a tough throw to make. Uh, kind of threw it in a very tight coverage. Key interception. Um, that was... Pretty much that sealed 
the game right there for the Rams. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers started off 35-0 to on the Chicago Bears. When the Buccaneers go through one of their blitzes where they go on one of these scoring splurges, is there anything uh, more dynamic than that? I'm going to say no on this one. When they get going, it's tough to stop because, you know, I think, I think today from the backfield is ultimately I think Leonard Fournette is going to take that backfield. And they were able to split the carries. Ronald Jones got high uptick today. He got 10 carries. That was close to a season high for him. But it was 15 to 10 for Annette. But I think ultimately, Fournette takes that backfield. He runs it well. So their running game is taken care of. And then throwing the ball with Tom Brady, he is just at a different level with the intellect that he has, just knowing what the defense is in, probably better than the defense does. And when, when, when he just drops back to pass and able to get rid of the ball quickly, depending on how the defense lines up, it's very difficult to stop them because he's almost at, I mean, Tom Brady is almost at a different level, both from a skill standpoint that he has, but also from the mind games and that intellect that he has as well. And, you know, they had no Antonio Brown today. Uh, the guy that was kind of third in their pecking order at receiver, Mike Evans, Mike Evans had the Mike Evans game today. He got three touchdown passes. Brady threw him. Kind of the reemergence there. But it's just, you know, plugging in different guys that they could do it a variety of ways. But with, with Tom Brady with these weapons and that that PhD, that doctorate level of quarterback play that he has in year 22, it is very difficult to stop. As Br- does Brady's arm look like it's gotten stronger to you? I think, he's been able, I think he's been able to hold up and keep it at a consistent level over the last few years. I don't think he's gotten stronger, but it hasn't dropped off, though. So even at, like, 44, it's looking like his arm is at, like, back four years ago when he was 40 still. And he's still pinpoint accuracy and great zip inside the numbers, which is where he really wants to work. And then he can also really step into a throw and throw that deep out. He, he still throws that deep out um, right right on target, on time and on target. Justin Fields, three interceptions. Uh, what do you make of his performance today? You know, he struggled. He really struggled. He struggled under the pressure today that Todd Bowles was able to dial, dial up. Uh, I thought he kind of panicked when he threw uh, both a combination of pass rush and, you know, the turnovers that he had as well. He also lost two fumbles too. So he had five turnovers today. And, you know, the Bears aren't doing the best job protecting him with just two tackles when you're going up against that Tampa pass rush, but they haven't done the best job at protecting him. However, when that pressure quickly breaks down, uh, Justin Fields 
Uh, there's very little he could do. I mean, he can't be able to scramble and extend plays, but also, you know, he throws it. He, he kind of panics, and then he throws it late for interceptions. A little careless with the football. So, right now, there, there's a lot of things that need to be improved on with the Bears, but also it starts with Justin Fields, too, that, you know, it's been a couple of starts, so it's still way too early, you know. It kind of reminds me a little bit, like, when Jared Goff was a rookie. He really struggled and then improved one year later, but, but it's, it's also um, at least limiting some of those negative plays that Justin Fields could improve on, but it was not a good game on multiple levels for the offense, but, but Justin Fields included as well. So the Arizona Cardinals started out five, uh, down 5-0 to the Houston Texans. Ended up winning 31-5, to right? But any concern that at one point they were down 5-0 to the Texans, and I believe that was late into the second, early into the second quarter, excuse me. Yeah, not really. I mean, you know, the uh, Texans got good pressure on that safety, and then they got the ball again with a short field for a field goal. But there was, I mean, you know, Cardinals kind of started off a little slow with, you know, the two punts and the safety, but then they, they quickly got going. I'm looking, they had, they had three touchdown possessions in a row after that, so... Um, initially in this league, everyone's pros, Houston could hang for a little bit, but over the course of a full game, as you get more and more plays, things begin to separate, so would not be too concerned with them, um, they've been an absolute powerhouse all year. Will Davis Mills be the starting quarterback for the Texans next year? So I want to read this to you because this is going on with all the Sean Watson drama. Somebody said this on Twitter, and I thought this was interesting. It's infuriating if Deshaun Watson is choosing between teams while facing potential jail time for sexual misconduct and assault. This is like watching a car crash in slow motion. So many people could still stop this. So, do you think it's bad business and a bad look for the league that this is going on amid all of the Deshaun Watson allegations that you have teams of the Dolphins or the Panthers and hell I think the Eagles are reportedly were in the mix at some point trying to look at Deshaun. 
No, I mean, you take a look at Deshaun Watson. He's still innocent until proven guilty. He has 22 civil lawsuits. He's got 10 criminal lawsuits, but that won't start until February with depositions. But he is still an innocent man right now. And there are some talks right before the season. Things got quiet that they were trying to settle. Deshaun Watson did not want to settle that without publicly settling it. So behind closed doors, he could settle it potentially and not reveal the outcome. He wants to clear his name. But this is still, from a legal, a legal point of view, this is still going on. But he is still innocent until proven guilty. I think that makes, it makes it difficult for a team, though, is to see, you know, if, if any if, if any other, you know, complaints come out and what happens in the legal system to know that you will have Deshaun Watson next year fully being ready to play and not under suspension. Along with... He, along with how the draft compensation works because, you know, Houston's going to want to get a high pick. Sometimes if you make the trade now, still have, you know, half the season to go, you don't know if that pick is going to be in the top five or top ten, or if a team starts to win, that begins to move up into the 20s. So it's still complicated, but I think there is some headway being made about Philadelphia, Miami, Carolina, wanting to get into this as the trade deadline looms is coming up next Tuesday, November 2nd. So speaking of Philadelphia, let's go there now. So the Eagles, they lose the Raiders. Uh, and I think the interesting thing about this is we thought that this could go either one or two ways with Las Vegas, Kenny. We thought after the whole Gruden controversy, the whole John Gruden scandal, uh, that you know the Raiders could go downhill from here, and they've chosen a different path. And now they're looking like a team that could potentially be a wild card. I want to know how shocked are you personally that the Raiders just seem to persevere through all this, and they're playing their best football? Yeah, it is surprising. Uh, it, it, it's been surprising how they've been able to block out the distractions because the last two weeks, those are two winnable games for them. And they've been able to win those. They, they were able to beat a Denver team. I thought they were better than Denver. And they were able to win a home game today against a sub-500 team that they should have won. And they did. So, right now, they are playing well. They're playing well defensively. They have an interim offensive coordinator. Uh, I think it's Greg Olson. But he's been around the league. And, you know... They had Derek Gardner completed 92% of his passes. And they were able to do that without their best weapon. Darren Waller was out. So it's been impressive. Uh, but but they, they've been able to take care of business when they have. And now looking at it, they're going to have a bye week. So they get a chance to settle down. And then they're going to play, come out the bye, they got the Giants on a short week. Uh, the Giants play a Monday night game. So they get the Giants on a short week, and they're able to continue to build 
and then it gets a little challenging for them with your schedule, but the Raiders are in this, and I think they have the personnel on their team to be in this playoff hunt throughout the remainder of the season. How shocked are you, though, that it seems their offense hasn't really dropped off either? I mean, Carr, 31-34 to 34 yeah. passing, 92%. John Gruden, one of the more respective offensive minds of this game, that their offense is still able to, you know, carry onward. Yeah, I've been extremely impressed by Derek Carr to be able to do that. Um, and even today, still getting those explosive plays. You know, early on, they got a nice pass. Just a, a Derek Carr threw just a seed to Zay Jones on a back shoulder fade. One of those passes. It was like a 50-yard pass. The ball went six, six, six feet off the ground, it looked like, uh, for 50 yards. Absolute rocket. Uh, but they're still getting those explosive plays in the pass game that they need. Um, you know, and today they had a really good game. With Darren Waller being out, Fabian Moreau stepped up, too. So that has been impressive that they've been able to kind of keep the same offensive output from John Gruden to post-John Gruden for at least these first two games. Now, they played a, a, a bad defense in Philadelphia, and I think they played a really overrated defense in Denver, but they did what they should have done against those teams. They put up 34 points and 33 points. Is Jalen Hurts holding the Eagles back? going to do is we're going to take another break and then get them next out of the break on barbershop sports talk we're going to talk more week seven of nfl action get them next for the break on barbershop sports talk Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Kenny Sim with us. So, Packers versus Washington. So much to discuss. First, I want to say this, Kenny. The prop bet for Aaron Rodgers, one and a half over, uh, one and a half touchdown passes, always pick the over. It has saved my life every time, week after week after week. There you go. Over one and a half. I, I don't know. They got to move that line up. They got to make it two. They got to make it two. 
Because Aaron's good for at least two a game, though how efficient their offense is. At least two. Yeah, at least one each half. Yeah. So, about this game, <laughs> the crazy thing is, Washington won the first down battle 25-19, to had 430 yards to Green Bay's 304, yet Green Bay wins 24-10. to How does that happen? Well, there's a sequence in that game, um, watching the game today, there's a sequence in that game where they had um, two turnovers on downs on the goal line. So um, they had <coughs> the first time on the goal line, they had um, Heineke and Gibson were rejected, and then Heineke had fourth and goal on the one he fumbled. They ended up getting the ball back, um, and this is when it was twenty-one to seven. So they could have used any of these scores. They got down to the goal line again, and uh, Tyler Heineke missed on third and two at the three, and then fourth and two on the three. And it was really those two play, or it, it was those two series that really, really put them behind the eight ball because if they get any one of those two you know it's 21-14 Washington's back in the game and it's just a huge letdown for the team when you know you don't convert there on the goal line with a chance to get points and you got to be able to win you know NFL is situational football so yes they won the yardage but one of the situational footballs is red zone and they went 0 for 4 in the red zone today um, you, you definitely got to convert those into points when you're going against Aaron Rodgers. But it was those two series. When they didn't get that second one, Daryl, that was about that. That was pretty much the game right there. Packers took over up 21-7, to and they were in full cruise control. Aaron Rodgers, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, super efficient. Is Aaron Rodgers the most efficient quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, especially in this system, it limits the mistakes. But he's he's routinely, you know, they don't they don't throw it too much. Um, they 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 threw it today a good amount. They're having uh, not their best game running the ball, but typically, you know, Aaron Rodgers is right around that thirty attempt mark. But it, it's still a high completion percentage, still getting the ball down the field. And then that guy just does not, he, he, he just does not turn the football over with interceptions. Um, coming into this game, but now adding a couple of touchdowns, looking at what he has right now, he is at 18 touchdowns and three interceptions. So six to one touchdown to interception ratio. He, he probably is the most efficient quarterback right now just because he just does not throw interceptions. he got a great feel for this system. Is he the best quarterback in the NFL right now? You know, right now, I think right now on who I would take it be between him and Tom Brady still. Um, but he is, you know, he's, he's, he's right up there, I think. Um, you know, with, with other players playing well. But he came into the year, you know, top three. But... I think, you know, wherever you put him, you know, I don't think he'd be any lower than 
Yeah, and it looks like after a controversial offseason, he's put himself kind of in the MVP conversation again, quietly. Yeah, and it's been this villain role. You know, it's this, it's this heel role, this villain role that he's embracing um, in what might be his last year in Green Bay. But, you know, scoring that touchdown against the Bears and saying, I own you, that is WWE wrestling right there. That is WWE and he's in a brick thing, I think, that villain role. And I don't think he knows where he's going to play next year either. Uh, so this is his last go-around. But, um, you know, obviously one of the biggest flukes of the off, of, of, of this year was week one, losing 38-3. to Packers have won six straight. They've covered in each of those six games. They are rolling right now. So now I want to get to this. So the Panthers versus the Giants. Sam Donald was benched during this game. He was benched uh, for P.J. Walker. It was about time for that, right, Kenny? Yeah, that was a couple of games coming now that I was building up. Um, but today, um, today was kind of the last one that, yeah, I mean, he just wasn't giving them enough uh, from the past kind of weeks turning the football over, taking sacks, just a huge a huge difference in splits from his first three games to his last four games. We talk about this a lot. The first four games, there's not a lot of film on what teams are doing this year, but once you get to that four-game mark, teams usually scout the last four games of a team and build those tendencies. Boy, has that been the case when going against Carolina – Defensive coordinators really breaking that down, getting a feel for what Sam Donald did well in the first three games, what to take away. But in these last four games, he has thrown up four bad games in a row when you have a sample size on him. was one reason why he got benched today. This was just kind of a one-game thing. I think to sit him down, maybe let a fire under him with uh, putting in XFL quarterback P.J. Walker. But they're going to get Sam Darnold back in there. However, they are in on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And owner uh, David Tepper cannot be very happy right now with Sam Darnold. And the Panthers, who started off 3-0. Yeah, Matt Rule said it was just to give him a little bit of a uh, kick in the butt. I mean, to me, I'm like, why do we need to give NFL quarterbacks a kick in the butt? This is in college football. Uh, but, yeah, Sam Darnold has been playing awful. And I think the difference in when you watch him and Daniel Jones, I don't think Daniel Jones is truly that bad. And I want to know your opinion on that. I don't think Daniel Jones is truly that bad. I just think he's in a bad situation where the off to line uh, is awful. You know, the receivers have come and gone. Uh, there's a lot more stuff where Sam Donald's in really a ready-made situation. He has everything, and he just can't, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And I feel like Daniel Jones is actually competent. He's just not in a good situation. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones had it really tough today. I mean, I am very surprised about the score of this game, and that is, you know, it, 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 to finish off in Carolina, it was not a good look from it was not a good look for Carolina today. But for Daniel Jones, he had Saquon Barkley out. He had his top two receivers out, um, Galladay and Shepard. <coughs> He has no left tackle right now. Andrew Thomas is out. That's a lot of pieces that he's missing, and he played pretty good today. Um, you know, he didn't turn the football over. 
and really they bounced back after a pretty bad possession early in the game. They were down in the red zone. Um, they did not convert. They went for it on fourth down. They were stuffed. But after that, it was all New York Giants. And, you know, they, they, they were able to finish that game well. And for the amount of pieces that Daniel Jones lacked today that were out, he ended up really good, I thought. It, it, it was a gutsy effort. Now, the question for the offseason is, how much better can he get, and, you know, how far can he win in that division with Daniel Jones, but I think he's, you know, I, I, I think he's dealing with a lot right now, um, you know, looking back at last week, too, pretty, you know, I don't think it was a good luck to put him in that game when he had a concussion two weeks ago, and looking back, he, he really struggled last week, though. But he, he, he was able to bounce back today, um, and he was, he was also their best runner with the football. I think what Daniel Jones has done is he's not the problem. I don't think the Giants in the offseason can talk and say he's the issue, right? Like, when Matt Rule and David Tepper, they're having these conversations in the offseason, they're going to say Sam Donald's the problem. You just don't want to be the guy that's the problem. Yeah, and I think they're going to look at definitely, you know, this roster, um, you know, Dave Gettleman was supposed to put together an offensive line. That's not worked. I think Dave Gettleman, this is probably going to be his last year. And I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat. But I think, um, you know, I think ownership and the fans maybe looking a little bit at Joe Judge a little bit. But um, they started 0-6 and they kind of righted the ship last year. This year they started off 1-5. and We'll see how it finishes. But, um, yeah, I would agree with you that there's other, other, um, you know, people to blame for this, for having um, the worst record in the NFL over the last three years than, than, than Daniel Jones. So the Atlanta Falcons, my God, what a gutsy performance against the Dolphins. So much to discuss with everything that comes from this. First, let's, let's get to the Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. They're in this wild card thing now, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They're three and three. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams around that three and three mark, but they're they're tied for the, uh, you know, you know they're 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 tied right now for that last couple of wild card spots at three and three, and they were able to right the ship after starting zero and three and being completely lifeless. Now, now with this game, or, or, or with this game, Daryl, I think I want to talk about too. Just over the last few weeks, how this Atlanta offense has improved is Kyle Pitts. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean he was unbelievable today. Seven for one sixty-three. That's that downfield target that you think you got with the fourth overall pick. But he made some great catches. He had a nice one-handed grab today when he was grabbed with one hand. He caught it with the other one. And I believe on the, you know, uh, taking a look at that game-winning drive, I think he has several big catches down the stretch to give them that game-winning field goal. And then from the, the Dolphins' side of things, just 
a gut-punching loss for a team that won 10 games last year. This will only make the drumbeat for Deshaun Watson grow louder and louder and louder in South Beach. Uh, what do you make of the Dolphins' season in general and just, you know, the likelihood that I guess they're going to make a play for Deshaun? They are. There's, um, you know, as, as, as kind of mentioned a couple of weeks ago with the, with, with, with the Dolphins, is there's a lot of internal uh, evaluation going on about the current state of the general manager and the head coach, Brian Flores. Um, you know, it, it, the, the shifting, uh, the, the maneuvering of the quarterbacks last year had some veterans puzzled in the locker room. Um, after winning the first game this year, they've lost six in a row. It has ownership. Uh, Stephen Ross is not happy. It has ownership looking at the head coach and the general manager. This roster, I think, has taken a, a, a little bit of a step back. The quarterback has not improved. Now, Mike Gusecki had a nice touchdown catch today. That was all Mike Gusecki, but, but I think... Uh, the, the four touchdowns, say, for two hours is a little misleading on his on his full play today. Um, but but I know, you know, there's some disconnect between if Brian Flores really wanted Tua, maybe getting out ahead of saying he doesn't want Tua, he's the problem, not me. But there's a lot of stuff building up, and it could quickly come falling down for the Miami Dolphins in the coming weeks. Oh, you're completely, completely right about that. In terms of Tua, he threw four touchdown passes. He had two interceptions. Has Tua been that bad? Like, I, I get the Deshaun Watson beat, but like the, the drum beat, but like, t- has Tua really been that bad? Don't you think they need to let this marinate a little bit, have him develop? Yeah, well, and so, so when I look at Tua, I just don't know what his elite skill is that he's going to continually win at at the NFL level. Doesn't really have a big arm. Little frazzled, you know, not not the best at extending plays um, with 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 Tua. But they, you know, they spent that first round pick on him. But I don't think they're getting the best return out of him. Now it is a little early in his career. He he started fourteen games only. Um, but in those fourteen games, you know, sixty four percent completion. Um, doesn't really push the ball down the field. 6.4 yards in attempt, 2 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. Um, you know, that's that's average, but look at that whole thing. You know, maybe if he was in a better situation, uh, he could be a little bit better, but this is uh, quickly becoming a multi layered. Uh, Multiple levels of the team and organization are really struggling from ownership all the way down to the players. Why this thing is quickly um, really unraveled for the Dolphins. They've lost six in a row now. So, I got another little quote from Twitter. So, uh, I believe this is from Matt Miller, uh, formerly of Bleach Report. Now he hosts his own, uh, he does his own website now. Uh, if Watts, this is what he says, if Watson is traded to Miami, it will be interesting to see if Tua is involved in the compensation. I've been told for a year that Nick Casario, 
former John Carroll grad, by the way, but neither here nor there, liked Tua a lot in the 2021 draft, in the 2020 draft class. Has his NFL tape changed that question mark? Texans must evaluate Tua and Mills against 22 QB class. So with that, Kenny, if it comes down to this, are the Texans going to take back Tua and is taking back Tua better than Davis Mills or any Buck quarterback coming out in this upcoming draft class? Yeah, so this is what a lot of, um, you know, not just with Houston, but I know potentially Washington rumored for Tua, but, but what, what, what the teams are going to look at in their, in their evaluation is if Tua was in this 2022 draft class, which at the top has underperformed so far in the college football season, if Tua was in this class, where would you stack them up with the other quarterbacks? And you can even give a little edge to Tua saying, okay, this is what he's done in his first year. How do you think the other players would have done? But when I also look at Tua, I also look at Tua compared to other quarterbacks that he would be in in, in the division um, and where he is kind of at the landscape of the NFL. And I kind of, I, you know, I just don't see that elite skill set that he has to, to continually win at the NFL level. Um, I, I think he's be a bottom half quarterback. So, you know, if you put him in a worse situation in Houston, I don't see him getting better at all, too. So, you know, I'd be looking at, for, for Houston, um, still getting that combination of six from, first and second round picks and players for Deshaun Watson, a combination of six. But looking at their roster, you know, I'd be looking at, I'd be asking for Jalen Phillips, the first round pick, edge rusher for Miami. I'd be asking for Zayvon Howard, the corner, and some first round picks as the centerpiece of that trade, not not Tula as the centerpiece of the trade. I'd be going more towards young players and high draft picks as that centerpiece, that main ingredient that they're getting in the trade for Deshaun Watson. So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break, and then we're going to finish off recapping Week 7 of NFL action. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Back with Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Kenny Sim with us. So, Kenny, Patriots versus Jets. I thought this was going to be a close game. And you know what this was? Bill Belichick said, a big F you to the Jets. F U C K to the Jets. That's what that was, Kenny. Uh, how shocked were you that the Patriots put up 50 points? If I told you that the Patriots were going to put up 50 points, this week, would you? How shocked would you have been on a one to ten? Yeah, I had to say about probably about eight or nine, just because they're not really an offensive team that does that. Uh, but you know, when they got out, I mean, it was you know basically end of the first quarter, it was seventeen nothing. 
there's no way a rookie quarterback against Bill Belichick will be able to go on the road and overcome that. So, Patriots came out, really good script early going, had a wide receiver pass, Kendrick Bourne for the touchdown, got a quick a quick stop on defense, 14 nothing. they quickly made work of them, and then, you know, it was late in that game. I think Jets had some injuries begin to pile up, but, you know, 34-13 was not that surprising, but it really fell apart for the Jets in that fourth quarter, getting outscored 21 to nothing. And kind of looking at that, um, it, it was a struggle for them to move the ball. Um, you know, they, they had some turnovers. They gave Patriots short field, and the Patriots were able to, uh, you know, just continue on with that short field and take advantage in the fourth quarter to turn a blowout into a complete destruction. Yeah, how have you seen uh, Mac Jones's progression? I mean, this is probably one of the better games by any of the rookie quarterbacks so far. I mean, the, the one Davis Mills outlier, but this might even be better than that game. Yeah, this was one of his better games I think he played in. Um, you know, statistically speaking, um, his performance against the Bucks was not as good as this one, but I thought for the level and the magnitude of the game, I thought his play against the Bucks was the most encouraging sign this year. But today was good, and maybe this is one of the games where Mac Jones gets going and this is kind of what he does against really bad teams. And there's some, you know, uh, progression to the rookie quarterbacks. But starting off beating the teams that, sh- that you should beat and putting together a good line, 300 yards, 2-0 to zero intercepting the touchdown ratio, will do that. Uh, maybe that could be some momentum for the Patriots that it's a team that I think is a little bit better than their record at 3-4. and four. Um, But, you know, there are some games that are winnable on their schedule now. Uh, their, their next few games, they got to play Chargers, Panthers, Browns, Falcons, Titans. So there's some winnable games, but um, to really get into this playoff picture, they're going to have to string together, you know, multiple game win streaks, you know, four out of five, stuff like that. So uh, we'll see if this could be one of the games that can catapult that for them. Yeah, and I also think what's interesting, too, and I want your opinion on this, Josh McDaniels, John Carroll grad, another John Carroll grad, by the way, uh, is he one of the more underrated offensive minds in football? Because they consistently get touchdowns off of trick plays. They did it again for their opening drive, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, they did. I mean, I mean, it's a solid. He's, he's, he's a solid offensive coordinator. When they get uh, as Mac Jones progresses in this system, they could really get complex and isolate on different things. You know, there there's multiple occasions where the Patriots, you know, pre-snap, they get a look. Depending on the coverage, they might run a totally different uh, route combination, and. Tom Brady and the veteran receivers were able to do that on the fly. They were, uh, you know, a lot of routes are just option routes, depending on the leverage of the DB and where they're lined up at. 
So as Max Jones progresses, they can kind of take that as their next step. And that's always been a challenge um, when going against the Patriots is that complexity that they do in the pass game is, you know, they, they, they always, you know, a defense can't cover everything. And they always find a way to attack that spot that is kind of the weakness of a defense and to run those option routes and just kind of just throw it where the defense isn't. Um, so I think as Mac Jones progresses more and more and gets more comfortable in the system, you will quickly see this because I do think he's pretty um, he's pretty proficient from the mental side of the game. So at three and four now, do you feel any differently about the Patriots as a wild card contender? Uh, no, I still think they're in. I mean, I I, I still think they're in the hunt for the wild card. I think that um, they're going to be one of the teams that's going to be in it to the end. Uh, but I think they are kind of in um, in that wild card hunt throughout the year with a chance to make the playoffs. Um, got through a little bit of a slower start, but you know, I you know, at three and four still, they're they're right in this and. You know, they got some AFC games in front of them uh, to win. Who do you think would win on a neutral site right now, the Patriots or the Chiefs? I still would take the Chiefs in that game. That's all. I will say this. New England was competitive with the Buccaneers and Cowboys, two of the top teams in the NFC. But I want to go to the Jets really quickly. Uh, Zach Wilson got hurt. Uh, knee injury, I don't know the specific details on it. I guess they said some teammates thought it looked bad. Uh, have you heard anything about that? No. Um, at the specific play, I didn't think it looked that bad. I think it was the, uh, the initial play you could have got hurt on, but it was, I think, the next play or the next pass play. He was kind of rolling to the left and got hit as he was throwing and kind of fell awkwardly. But um, I don't have anything on that, but I don't think it's anything significant like an ACL or um, anything season-ending. Is it possible Robert Sala could get fired like a Steve Wilkes situation? Oh, no. I don't think so right now. Um, you know, that's Joe Douglas's guy, so that would also really put Joe Douglas on the hot seat. Um, but this was, you know, this is, I think this is the youngest team in the NFL. I think they are the number one youngest team in the NFL. And this is, uh, this is the youngest team, and coming into the year, it was not the best roster. So, this is, you know, this is definitely the early stages of a, uh, I think, a long rebuild that's going to need to take place. But I don't think, you know, firing a coach would do anything to uh, speed up that rebuild. And lastly, Saints versus Seahawks. Who you got? I'm going with the Saints. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm going with the Seahawks in this matchup. They're at home. Um. You know, Geno Smith is going to be able, I think, to kind of manage the game a little bit, uh, potentially move the football that they did in 
challenge. Let's see if they could force Jameis Winston into some interceptions. Maybe Jamal Adams could catch one of those instead of bouncing off his helmet. But I like the, uh, uh, the Seahawks as the underdog to get the victory here. I'm personally going to go with the Saints. Uh, they're going to need this one if they want to be in the wild card hunt in uh, Seattle. I think they're going on the downward spiral. Kenny, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll do it again next week. And once again, I want to thank Kenny for coming on the show. I always appreciate it when Kenny can come on. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 347th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.